don't get in the mirror very much anymore. Like I, I until we do these like these live videos, I don't know what I look like. Isn't there a thing in the Bible about that? Isn't there a thing in the Bible about How like a man looking looks in a, in and a mirror? Walks away and forgets what he looks like. But I'm not looking and like turning around and forgetting. I just don't look in a mirror and it gives. Away. Um, you know what I know? Looking in this in this video right now, you know what I know. What do you know? I'm a good looking man. <laughs> I know that too. Oh man. Um oh hello. It is Tuesday at noon. I've missed two weeks of book club. We have um I was in India. We were in India. We were. But today we're gonna talk about a book we finished this month. In February we read a book called Let Justice Roll Down by John Perkins. Well I start by saying I've met John Perkins. I met John Perkins um a few years ago, maybe five years ago, when just uh, just moved here to the city, and he came to Flint to talk to some of the community leaders. We were at a historic black church uh, over on the north side of the city. Um, meeting him uh, was a uh, blessing and a treat. It was uh, the man who wrote this book. I met, and I mean that there wasn't a difference between these two men. It wasn't like there was a guy who had a power over language and made himself seem, seem one way and you meet him in a different way. The man from this book is the man I met in a little church fellowship hall five years ago. He's an old man now. Mm -hmm. He's an old man now. So what is this book about? We're going to kind of just go through overview of the whole book. Let Justice Roll Down takes place in the 30s. Is that correct, darling? It starts in, he's born in He's born in 1930. So, yeah. A lot of the, the later stuff is like 60s, 50s, and 60s. 1960s. Yeah. That means our parents were alive. Yeah. This is not Civil War. This is not, this, this story does not take place in a world removed from our own. I was born in 80. This is taking place 20 years before we were born. Um, this is, and that's hard to believe. Mm -hmm. And you might say to yourself, well, Mississippi, so it doesn't count. Well, so, like, what is this book about? John Perkins is born in Mississippi, and he's born in a land that uh, racism is a part of life. Yeah? Yeah. Like the role of a white person, the role of a black person was defined very strongly. And um, in African Americans, and, and, uh, and, and you know, Perkins here, there is a desire to see the world change. Perkins, there's a lot in this book. Um, we're going to talk about some of the themes of the book. And um, if you come later, because we, we didn't really announce we're doing this at noon, so there's no one on, but you watch this later. Hopefully you, you get a chance to see it. Man, I don't even know where to start. So the story of the book. There's a lot. So there's the story of the book. There's Let's just go a few things. First, the story. The story, really, the, the if you wanted to define this book, it's about the injustice done to one man who tried to better the lives of the African-Americans that were part of his community. Mm -hmm. He suffered great injustice. Uh, he was arrested more than once yeah. um, for no legal reason. Mm -hmm. Babe, reading that his lawyers went to trial not knowing the charge brought against him. That's insane. 
I don't even know what to say about this. How can you go to court not knowing what you've been charged with? I mean, it's unconstitutional. But in this world, in the South he lived in, this is, the fact of the matter is, Mr. Perkins and blacks like him had no political power. That's just the way it was. And he gets arrested once, and the second time he gets arrested, it's not just an arrest, it is a... Um, him and a group of people that are working to um, educate, uh, help blacks uh, become registered to vote. Mm -hmm. They're doing social uh, justice things. Mm -hmm. Two vans are going back home. There's whites and blacks in the car. There's like, a th like three or four white kids, mm -hmm. college kids who came down to serve. They get arrested, and the cops beat the ever-living crap out of those mm -hmm. those men and those boys. Perkins talks about when he is released that his his the people there with him thought that he was dead for sure because they beat him so brutally. Um, John Perkins has a uh, a mighty pen. The whole book, the story, the, 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 he describes his life very, very vividly. As you read, you you find yourself almost living there in the South with him, Mississippi. Um, and at the first, you walk through with him, like just being young, trying to find his place in the world, moving to California. Um, you see the um, injustice as part of his life. His brother is killed by a police officer when he was very young for for no reason. Um, you see his family turns outside the law to make their way in the world. Um, he talks about the systems in place that kept African Americans down in Mississippi. Just even if you could try to, you know, own land or farm, mm -hmm. the system, the the cards were stacked against you. Um, so that's the story. The story is a, a black man goes to California, meets Jesus, and let me say something about meeting Jesus in this book. I was really grateful with how Perkins. The Jesus he saw in the churches in the South. He's like, I have no room, I have no need for this. Mm -hmm. This emotional, like triumphalistic, um, it's it seemed like something outside of reality. Like, and and he, he he's he's not a complete jerk like we are, or I am. <laughs> he's not like this is stupid. He's not like um he's like he can see why people living in a in a time of incredible injustice need the hope of heaven to hold on like you almost got to go somewhere else just to have hope he talks too about how like that was literally the only place where they had like any emotional outlet for all the oppression they were enduring like that was the only church was the only place where they were actually free to express that and it came out in a lot of emotion and that's that's understandable but he just he's very pragmatic he's like that's great for them. I just didn't need it. And seeing him come to Jesus was, it satisfied his mind. He realized the story of the gospel, that Jesus Christ saves sinners. He realized, like, it, it just, it captivated him. He realized it was real. And he became a Christian and he went all in. Mm -hmm. 
taught Bible studies. He went out and reached people in California. He ran like child evangelistic fellowships. He, he uh, what's unreal is he served. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself. So he becomes a minister, just like working with kids. He wanted kids to hear the gospel. But he's in California, far from Mississippi. And God does what God does with sometimes with, with, po with po those of us who grew up in hard places. He calls us home. And it's hard for people to understand sometimes. Like Perkins says, his friends, his white friends, who and they loved him. But Perkins had kind of moved into the white world and he liked it. Well, like, and he, he talked about how just being out west, there was a lot more freedom, a lot more opportunity. And so people are like, why would you leave that? Yeah, like God's using you here mm -hmm. in this place where there's not as much injustice, not as much oppression. Why would you leave the safety of this and go back to Mississippi where you are looked at as a dog? They look at you as you are nothing. He uh, went to a prison to preach and he saw a lot of the black kids there. And he saw, and he, he saw in the faces of the, the young black kids who were in prison and had no hope. He saw in them himself mm -hmm. and all the people he knew back home Mississippi young guys who had no hope and so he talks about how his wife wasn't in mm -hmm. I'm grateful to God babe that in our in our journey we have always been on the same page about things yeah. but he didn't move he didn't move until she was with him mm -hmm. and it said that he talked a whole story about how he got real sick yeah and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And she wouldn't let go. She loved their life. She loved having a nice home. She loved having a good job. She loved having good friends. They had success. Mm -hmm. But she realized they had to go. And she had to let go and trust God. And they came back to Mississippi. And they started all kinds of ministry. They started all here with children, education, tutoring. Here's a couple awesome things about the ministry they started. Um, this is there, there's here's a point where I'm going to spend some time in right now. Again, I, if you've not read this book, I, I encourage you. It's a quick read. It's so it's so engrossing. The language is so good. You will be brought in fast. Give this book a chance. He goes back to Mississippi, and as he's doing gospel work, he realizes that the gospel affects all of life. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I have to help my people learn to read and write get job skills he there they can't get loans from banks so he creates like a little mini bank for Africa for poor people to get these little micro loans for little businesses he's thinking um in his mind the gospel is it is our soul but it's also our life the gospel has impact for how we treat others and for justice and so he begins working like social justice issues including civil rights and one thing he says he says that he doesn't understand why his white Christian brothers and sisters they were all for him preaching Jesus but they, they thought doing anything to help change someone's life position was going beyond the gospel One of my good friends, a white pastor I know, we're reading this book together, um, and we're talking, and 
he it was a struggle for him this part because he he had that same thought he goes the gospel work proclamation of the gospel is the work and everything else is extra we don't mm -hmm. do as pastors we don't do the other we, we all we do is proclaim jesus we don't do anything else to deal with to help people as far as with their life with injustice with suffering we comfort those who are in suffering we do nothing to stop the suffering that comes the systemic wrongs of the world not that you can't, but it's not. He doesn't view it as central. It's to not central. The message of the uh, yeah, it's not central at all. It's, and he would say a pastor gets involved in that. He would even say they've left the heart of the ministry. So he's reading this book and it's challenging him. And he said to me this incredible thing. He said to me, Ernesto, you don't know what it's like to be white. And he wasn't being a jerk. He wasn't. He was telling me that, I he's been raised his whole life being told certain things. It's hard to leave those things. It's hard to think beyond what you've been given. And I really appreciated his honesty in saying that and sharing that with me. Um, so I said to him, it's duty. You understand? It's, 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 um, you don't know what it's like to be a minority. So I said to him, you don't know what it's like to be a minority in America. And he said, you don't know what it's like to be white in America. And I was like, two shakes. I don't. Right. It's true. It, we all, it's hard to see beyond our own experience. If, if we haven't experienced it ourselves, then it's hard to understand what other people are, are living through. There was a, a section in this book where a white pastor and him became friends. And this white pastor, a Baptist preacher, became convinced, we both love Jesus. Like, you are preaching Christ. I preach Christ. We love Jesus. And he began preaching in the South of how black people were our true brothers in Christ and we should love one another. And his church turned on him. Like, I'm, dude, I'm going to... His church, his oh, the, the Christians of his town turned on him. And they started talking about him so bad. And he lost so much. He lost his position. He lost honor. That pastor ended his own life. Mm -hmm. That was a horrible story. But this person wanted to stand with a brother against evil. And the, the Christians, the Christians were so culturally drunk so so culturally eaten they couldn't they couldn't get past their hatred for their for for black neighbors this is a hard read um reading this as a, i can't make you were you were white reading this was this hard for you to read um i think it would have been more so if i had read it years ago i think you know just living where we do I have encountered a lot more than I had as, you know, I mean, I grew up in a small town that was 99% white. So, I mean, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of context for that kind of experience. Um, but just having moved out of that and, you know, um, met people from different backgrounds, I think, um, has helped with that. Um, but it is just, it's just shocking to read the things that, that he endured. Like he puts years in here. You know, like this happened in 1967, and I'm thinking that's the year my parents graduated from high school. Like, Holy just you know, God. the context is just mind-boggling that this is not ancient history. And I mean, of course, we know things like this are still happening. Reading about all the like the voter registration rights and stuff, I was it's like, happening Man, right is, now. It's it's just I don't know. I, I imagine it's probably disheartening for someone like him who has worked so hard for so long to see some of these same battles still, you know, being waged. Like, what have we been doing for the last 50 years? Um, but I, one thing I, I thought was really interesting, he talked about both sides of the social justice 
issue. He talked both about how he didn't think it could be separated from the gospel, um, that it just it should be a natural outflowing of God's love for people. But he also talked from the other side of it that social justice without that spiritual influence becomes this, um, I don't remember how he said it, but he's, he's just like basically saying that Christians missed the boat, like missed an opportunity, that they could have been the spiritual influence in that movement, and that would have given it some direction and purpose that it didn't have, and that it kind of floundered because there was no like spiritual purpose behind it. And um, it just, I just thought it was really interesting that it wasn't just that the that the Christians were missing out on being part of social justice, but that the social um, those programs and reforms were missing out on the Christians' voice in it. It's true. We have we have we can bring the love of Christ into these into these programs, and we don't by our absence allows these movements to be full of. Say, um, so reading about so there's just you have some quotes, babe, that you highlighted you wanted to read, babe. You have some things you wanted to, um, just I was looking at along those lines of what I just said. He's, um, the quote, I don't know, this is in the whole gospel chapter, I think. Um, I'm just looking on my phone, so, um, he said, How sad that so few individuals equally committed to Jesus Christ ever became a part of that movement. For what all that political activity needed and lacked was spiritual input. And then in the next paragraph it says, Evangelicals surrendered their leadership in the movement by default to those with either a bankrupt theology or no theology at all. And it just, it's sad to think about how much more of an impact that could have had if there had been that partnership. Um, there's a part where he's going into court. He says a line that really bothered me a lot. Perkins says they were breaking me and I knew it maybe they knew it too and I thought about how Perkins is a strong man he's strong in his heart he's strong in his mind and the courts were like I'll be on the stand the lawyers coming at him he felt himself being worn down and he realized they're going to beat me and I'm like I can't imagine being in a fight for good being in a fight where justice is on my side where I was he was savagely beaten by police officers. And they're gonna get away with it. 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 And he realized I'm I'm losing the battle in my own heart. Like I am becoming discouraged to a place where I can't fight this fight anymore. And I was sad. Like I was sad. Like and there's that great moment he talks about how he goes out to get some water at the water fountain. And that old black woman comes up to him. Remember this? Mm -hmm. And what does she say to him? She, she say like Stand up, young man. Stand up, young man. Like, like just, just it's a simple word. Stand up, young man. And it, he's like, yes, I have to stand. I, and he, he's like, he called her a prophet. God sent for him in that moment. Okay, they should go back in that courtroom and face all those unjust accusations and lawyers and judges and jurors. The end of the book is where we're going to spend a lot, most of our time today. We're going to, we're going to get them there now. This book is an incredible read for a hundred reasons. Okay, his love of the love of the gospel, how Christ transforms lives, how God can use a simple person to to change a whole neighborhood, and, and, and um, the fullness of the gospel, the, how the gospel 
the outpouring of the gospel does make us care about the most vulnerable and hurting around us. After he's beaten and he's off healing, because his body is so broken, there are years of problems with his insides, just getting beaten so badly. He goes away and he realizes there's hate in his heart. How could there not be? These white police officers beat him and his family and friends. Here's some quotes about what's going on. Um, he says, uh, A lot of our people were sick, affected by generations of slavery, oppression, and exploitation, psychologically destroyed. But I had never thought much before about how all that had affected the whites, how they had been affected by racism, by attitudes of racial superiority, by unjust lifestyles and behavior. So he talks about like what happens to um, um, white people, and he talks about he talks about like he says he says, um, "You see, the pain in my heart was just as real, just as raw as the pain in my stomach." And he realizes the. He wants to hate the whites, what they did to him. He wants to give to them what he received from them straight up. And he realizes it's going to kill him. He says, How would I be different from the whites who hate? If I give it back, how am I any different than they are? He says, as he's working through it in mind, he says, If the black man had the advantage, he'd be just as bad, just as bad. So I can't hate the white man. He talks about Jesus being um, being crucified by the crowds, by Rome, unjustly kills Jesus. And he says, but when Jesus looked at that mob that had lynched him, he didn't hate them. He loved them. And for many of us, talking about loving our enemies, we don't even, like we, we pay lip service to this. But you can imagine being treated wrongly, like so badly, for doing nothing wrong. How much hate would you have in your heart for someone who did you wrong like that? How much hate would you have if someone hurt your family, your grandfather, your father, your sisters, your siblings, your children? And Perkins, after being beaten to a bloody pulp, look at the very officers who beat him. And he didn't hate them for what they had done. And every action we ever watched teaches us to hate our enemies and to destroy them and defeat them. We defeat them with might. We're John Wick, right? We're the equalizer. We, we use force to overcome force. Perkins realizes only love can defeat evil. And he loves the people who oppressed him. He says Jesus was lynched. And he was. Jesus was lynched by the mob, just like so many of his, Perkins' So many of Perkins' family and friends were lynched by the mob. And in America right now, sadly, we're in a moment where so many people are choosing to hate. Is there a justice in the world? Yes, there's a justice in the world. But right chooses to hate left. Atheist chooses to hate Christian. Christian chooses to hate LGBT. Like everyone's choosing to hate who they see as their enemy. To use the weapons of of the worst of us against one another. If you're going to play hardball, I'll play hardball right back. And when we do this, 
Christ is nowhere seen in our actions. I am inspired by the work of John Perkins, the life of John Perkins, who, like Jesus, was... Um, I'm a mess today, babe. I mean, it's a brutal story. <laughs> but like Jesus, Perkins... He looked at Jesus and saw Jesus who was... Um, what does it say? He opened not his mouth. He took the hit and didn't hit back. And Perkins decided to do the same, to give his life, to love the to love people, even if they didn't, even if they hated him, he was gonna love them, he was gonna win them through love. And this is the way of Christ. We we win through love. I mean, I don't I don't want to I, I want to use my fists. I want to use my fist. I want to overcome evil with evil. I want to be Bruce Willis. I want to be Steven Seagal. I do. But this is not who Christ was. And so I'm grateful for Perkins' testimony, um, just inspiring us toward the way of Christ. Because the way of Christ is better. It's better. It's If we say we believe it, if we say we're with them, we got to be with them. we got to forgive those who hurt us. Forgive those who would crush us. Forgive even those who have the power and would use that power to crush the weak. Now, I'm not saying we don't stand against unjust systems. Perkins fought, used his life. He fought against unjust systems. But he didn't hate the people he was fighting. He won them over. <laughs> he says at the end, he's like, I, I mean, near the end, he says, I know man is bad, depraved. Um, but then he talks a little bit earlier. He said, um, he said, sadly, he hadn't seen it in his, you know, in all of the work that they had done. He hadn't seen it yet. But he said, I believed the gospel was powerful enough to shatter even the hatred of Mendenhall. And that I think that's really like that's the crux of the issue. Like, Do we believe that even though there's wrong and there's hatred, is the gospel true? Like, is this love of God really powerful enough to overcome that and he's saying yes it is but we have to choose it and that's that's a hard path and sometimes in order to show that love of christ is is greater we have to die mm -hmm. we have to suffer injustice and that's hard for us individually like what did he freaking say they were breaking me oh man i mean christ went to gethsemane and he wept the night before they killed him because he knew it was going to be hard but he made peace with God. He's like, God, I know they're going to do me wrong, and I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it because you called me to take it. Uh, so this book um, was a beautiful read. I encourage you, if you're watching this just because you're, you're, you're on Facebook and you wanted to watch, you just love me and Angie or something, <laughs> um, this book is worth the read. I have four extra copies of this here at the church. If you want one on Sunday, take one and read it. Going forward, uh, I give this book five stars, babe. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. It's a life-changing read. Uh, I'm so grateful for it. Um, for next month, March, we're already, I know it's already March seventh, but we're starting a new book. We're reading um, "When Others Trembled." While others trembled, can you look up for me, baby? Yeah. It's written by Jamie Janosch. Yeah, um, and uh, it's a book about eight women. Who um, it's called when others shuddered. When others shuddered, by and it's called eight women who refused to give up. About eight women 
what it looks like. Sorry. <laughs> Where okay. are you? Eight women who um, loved Jesus, and they, they in their in their moment of time, they stood and brought Christ to, to people. Um, reading that for March, uh, I think it, this month is National Women's History Month. Something like the marches. Um, International Women's Day is tomorrow. So we're reading this book to celebrate some amazing women of God who've done great things for God. Um, we're gonna we're gonna change up our format. Instead of doing this like live thing we do where we just talk at you for thirty minutes, we're gonna do. Uh, I, I bit off more than I can chew because that's my style. We're <laughs> not gonna do weekly book club. We're gonna do monthly. The last Tuesday of every month, we're gonna host a online video chat. Where we all, those of us who read the book, will come on. Um, so we're gonna come on end of the month. We're gonna so you can jump on and you can like come in. We all see each other's faces on a little video chat. We all share things that God's teaching us through the reading. So we'll do like a virtual book club. At it'll be the last Tuesday of the month. So that for this month that will be. That'll be March twenty eighth. The last Tuesday of the month is March twenty eighth. Um, we'll share the link here on Facebook, and I'm going to try. Listen to this. Ah! I'm going to try to get the author to come on to our virtual Ooh. chat. Because I know the author a little bit, a little bit, I know a little bit. <laughs> um, that would be real cool to have the author to kind of talk to her about her book and what it meant to us. So we're going to be reading this um, this month. So I encourage you. It's, it's, it's like ten chapters, nine chapters long. It's it's very readable. It's not very long. It's it and it it's story, so it's not like it's it's very just digestible. So go ahead and grab that. We're gonna meet here end of the month. Have our book club. We're gonna do book club. It's gonna be the, for the rest of the year. It's gonna be the final Tuesday of the month. We're gonna do a virtual. So instead of just two heads, it'll be a bunch of heads and little screens, and we'll record it and put it on Facebook later of our conversation. Um, but we hope you will read. Um, reading, we believe. Uh, Evelyn Underhill once said that spiritual reading is second only to prayer as a developer of the inner life. And we believe this. We believe spiritual reading is good for the soul. It is good to gain wisdom. It is good to challenge and shake us as this book shook me. Holy cow. Whew! I, I haven't cried in a little bit. It was good. That was really <laughs> cool. Um, so, this just rolls down. Five stars. Incredible Give it a read. It is good for us as believers to engage this. We're reading now When Others Shuddered by Jamie Janos, available on Amazon. And uh, we will be meeting together end of the month. We'll share the link and we will uh, all kind of talk. Well, it, it, instead of just us talking, it'll be all of us talking. It'll be great. It'll be great. It'll be Tuesday evening instead of Tuesday at noon. So we'll say Tuesday at 7? The final Tuesday of the month at 7 p.m. We'll put it on. We'll put it on a calendar so you know what's coming up. That's what we'll do. But with that said, God bless everybody. Have a wonderful Tuesday, um, man. You know what? Man, Jesus is awesome. Like I don't know what to say. He is. His way is the best way. And uh, the longer I'm alive, the more I believe it. God bless everybody. Grace and peace to you. Bye. How to turn this off? Here it is. Okay.